sir. He's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. <laughs> Hello out there in cyberspace. I'm sorry, we will play the song again. I know everyone was very excited to hear a bunch of that, but, uh, but I've heard it quite a bit, and I can only take so much at a time right now. Um, so on February 7th, authorities in the U.S. arrested Ilya Lichtenstein and his wife, Heather Morgan. The charge? Allegedly, the couple laundered $1 billion in stolen Bitcoin. And as news of the charges spread, journalists began to dig into the couple, and good lord, Morgan was extremely online. A wannabe rapper and influencer, Morgan shared every moment of her life on Instagram and YouTube. Just heard some of her rap game, and it's... Uh, it's a lot. Here to talk about the hack, the charges, and Morgan's outsized personality, we've got Motherboard Senior Staff Writer Lorenzo Franceschi Bicarai and Motherboard Senior Editor Jordan Pearson. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. I'm Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. Jordan, Lorenzo, once again, the crypto duo, thank you for coming on the show. We're back. We're back. Happy to be back. We're, we're back to talk crime and cringe. Uh, the which I think is going to be a recurring theme in 2022 somehow. Um, oh, and I've got Gus the cat trying to walk all over the the board. So, Jordan, why don't we get this started by you telling me kind of the beginnings of this? It's gonna you know something that happened in 2016. There was a crypto hack. What do we know yeah. about what happened? Yeah. So, I mean, this whole thing is kind of. I mean, I wouldn't say it's the conclusion, but it's kind of the latest unexpected and like honestly just like very stunning chapter in what has been really one of the most sort of large high profile and enduring mysteries uh in the crypto world like for for seven years or whatever since it six years since it happened um so in 2016 uh there's this uh exchange called bitfinex which at the time is like one of the largest if not the largest cryptocurrency exchanges in the world um Tether is something that they do as well. Uh, they're also behind that, uh, which is another big part of the cryptocurrency ecosystem that people may be familiar with if they're not familiar with Bitfinex. Um, so, you know, this is 2016. It's just a couple years after the Mt. Gox disaster. And uh, Bitfinex basically just announces uh, in August of 2016, I think it was August 2nd, that uh, they've been hacked. And this is uh, a major deal because it eventually comes out that it was a lot of money. Uh, it was like 120,000 Bitcoins, uh, which at the time was worth like uh, $60 million or something like that. Um, so it's a big deal and people are basically freaking out, uh, at the time because nobody really knows what happened. No one knows what comes next. People want answers. Uh, and it, it's sort of just been this, uh, essentially unresolved mystery, uh, basically ever since. Although, you know, the coins have been like people have known where these coins are and have been like tracking their movements, uh, ever since then, which is also what the feds did in this case. But I mean, that, yeah, that's basically what happened. So they could, people could see the money, but they couldn't get to it or know who was kind of behind it. Yeah, exactly. So most of these coins were never like touched or moved and they were, uh, in a wallet that has, has basically been tracked this entire time. So, um, you know, amateur sleuths, uh, blockchain analytics companies, and as we know now, the federal government, uh, were, uh, yeah, have been tracking these coins and tracking their movements uh, before that this news dropped, actually, you know, it was news in, in cryptocurrency land that, uh, that, you know, 
billions of dollars of this Bitcoin had actually moved, which I suspect now we know was probably the federal government moving it, confiscating it. But, you know, that just shows that people have had their, have had their eyes on this without really knowing what happened. And to be clear, based on the new information, we still kind of don't know what happened, right? We don't know how the money was taken. Yeah. And that's also why this is, you know, not the end of the story. It's kind of just the beginning of a new chapter, uh, which is that, yeah, we still don't really know what happened. Like, notably, uh, these two people that we're talking about, um, the crimes that they allegedly committed were were not the hack itself, but conspiracy to launder uh, the the five billion dollars worth of Bitcoin and the one billion dollars that they allegedly did manage to launder. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we don't really know. Like, there's never been, as far as I'm aware, if someone out there wants to prove me wrong, I'll take the L on that. But uh, I don't think there's ever been like an official explanation um, for what actually happened. Uh, you know, maybe that's because this has been under investigation since it happened. Um, but there's, there's been a lot of speculation. Uh, I, f- I feel like maybe people kind of had a, a vague idea of what likely happened or what may have been involved at least, but no, nobody, nobody knows really. And like, maybe that'll be something that comes out of this court case. Maybe that's another shoe that's going to drop. We don't know. Cephas, I see your question. I want to put a pin in it cause we're going to, we're going to get to her TikToks and things. Uh, but we'll, we've got to get some few more basic bits of information out of the way. Um, all right. So you said conspiracy to launder. Did how much of this have they actually laundered? And we do we know kind of like what the mechanism for that was? Like, how do you launder Bitcoin? What does yeah. that mean? So first of all, it's very tough to launder Bitcoin because it's all tracked, which is why they did not. You know, uh, I'm, I'm going to say just like a, just blanket everything here is alleged. Right. Uh, I may slip up in that, but. Just for anyone listening, this is all alleged. If I don't say it, just assume I said it. Um, so, like, yeah, like, most of this was not moved um, because it's all being tracked and it's very hard to launder. But uh, what allegedly was laundered, uh, based on the statement of facts, we know was done through a few different ways. Uh, one was through Alphabay, a darknet market uh, that sold drugs, um, chiefly. But I think also provided, like, kind of like cash out services and that type of thing. Um, Packing services as well. Yep. Uh, And we know that uh, they did some stuff with gift cards uh, through a service that let them cash out uh, Bitcoin in exchange for, I think there was some Walmart gift cards, some Uber gift cards. um, And that was part of it as well. So it's not easy, but um, they tried a few different ways, uh, including like, yeah, darknet markets, gift cards, probably some other other exchanges. Um, but it, it's tough. It's not easy. So in these 120,000 Bitcoins, which have now been seized, I assume, um, were worth, are now, they were worth what's around 70 million at the time. They're now worth 5 billion seven years later. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So you can imagine you're the uh, attacker or you're, you know, you're who's, who's, who's laundering it. Allegedly, these two people, you know, you're sitting on what's 60 million Bitcoin. You're watching it rise to like, all of a sudden, like you have like billions of dollars in wealth, like it's extremely hard to wrap your head around, like being like watching that number go up, but like not really being able to cash out without easily getting caught. It's kind of a crazy situation um, for anyone to find themselves in. Uh, but yeah, it, it was uh, 60, 70 million dollars initially, and then it went up to yeah, five billion. 
All right. And how much had they laundered when the Justice Department got involved? Uh, about a billion, billion dollars they, uh, worth of it they managed to launder. I don't, uh, it, Lorenzo, maybe you know more than I do here, but like, I think it's, you know, they may not have cashed it all out when it was worth that much, but like at today's prices, that's how much it is. Yeah, Lorenzo. Yeah, the, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, there's, there, there were a lot of movements as we talked about, you know, a lot of uh, attempts to launder money, move it around. Um, other things that they did to launder it was, um, they converted it to Monero, for example, which is a more like privacy focused uh, currency that also was tracked though by the feds. Um, they also, Liechtenstein allegedly bought some gold, actual gold in Bitcoin at some point, providing his real address to the seller. They bought some NFTs. Uh, so they did move some, some of the money around, but in total, the money that they actually moved was uh, only quote unquote 25,000 Bitcoin, so around 1 billion. The rest, which was, you know, 3.6 billion more or less, was sitting in a wallet that the feds were able to seize um, last month when uh, essentially when they concluded this investigation. Yeah. Also, it's worth noting, you know, that's not to say that they got a billion dollars out of this. Like Bitcoin only very recently became as incredibly value valuable as it is. And, uh, you know, they were trying to cash this out, uh, presumably, Mm -hmm. you know, over time. Yeah, also it's interesting because, sorry, no, no, I just want to say that. It, yeah, it's interesting because in some cases when um, either cryptocurrency exchanges prompted by the feds or cryptocurrency exchanges just on their own were asking questions uh, from the owners of the, you know, the wallets involved in this operation, in this laundering operation, um, the sometimes like... Uh, you know, Liechtenstein or uh, Morgan, the couple that were, that's accused of these crimes, were just not able to really answer the questions. So they just stopped answering or stopped uh, engaging in these questions and uh, their funds got frozen. So some of these Bitcoins, they literally were not able to move because they got frozen out of their own accounts. So they <laughs> they had money they couldn't access, just kind of sitting in account, sitting in accounts. But I mean, I guess when you're when you're messing with, when you're talking about numbers that big, it doesn't really matter, right? You know, what's a few more million when you've when you've already laundered for maybe yourself or for someone else? Again, we don't know. We're just kind of at the beginning of this story. Like what you know, when you've got a billion that you've already when you've already moved through, what's a, what's losing a few million, right? Yeah. The, what's interesting also is that uh, some of this money ended up in you know Bitcoin accounts that were tied to their businesses, essentially. Um, and, uh, they also couldn't really answer questions about that. Like, uh, Lorenzo was saying, people were asked, you know, they're asking the questions, how'd you get this money? They're like, oh, it was early investments. Turns out that's not true. Um, but yeah, like it was, uh, it was in accounts for this, uh, VC, alleged VC firm, uh, called Demand Path, um, that they ran together. But, uh, I don't think even in the, in the statement of facts, the government couldn't find any information about what they allegedly invested in. But that, you know, it was uh, holding allegedly stolen Bitcoins, essentially. Uh, And this other company that that Morgan ran called Salesfolk, uh, which was, I guess, a marketing firm that seems like it may have had some clients. Um, Yeah, that that they were kind of holding stolen Bitcoins allegedly in in those kinds of accounts as well. And they couldn't answer questions about how it got there or or what business they did that uh, gave them that that many Bitcoins in those accounts, essentially. 
Snowstar Boy in the chat has a question. I think we've we've mentioned it, but I just want to be very clear on this point. Um, he says, y'all might have addressed this already. The They're solely accused of trying to launder the coin and not the attack itself at this point, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Only accused of yeah. laundering it. We don't know really how the hack happened, except for the government saying that Bitfinex itself was compromised. Like in 2016, like there was a lot of kind of finger pointing about like how exactly this happened. And in the absence of any like official explanation, the most that people have kind of zeroed in on is that it had to do with this. I mean, I don't know how much detail I want to go in here, but basically they were using this um, kind of multi-signature storage solution from this company, BitGo. uh, And, uh, you know, people basically were saying like, it's something to do with that. BitGo said, BitGo said, we weren't compromised, nothing on our servers, uh, was compromised at all, but I think analysis has kind of and speculation has kind of settled around something in that arrangement uh, having been uh, compromised, uh, and you know due to the statement of facts from the federal government uh, and the fact that Bitgo said in the past that you know they weren't compromised at all. Like I think it's safe to say that like Bitfinex itself was the was the vector of attack here basically Bitfinex was compromised. That's what the feds have said anyway. So that's like kind of another piece of information. Am I correct? I read somewhere that they were creating false identities uh, as part of the laundering process. Is that correct? Yeah, at some point. Uh, so one of their mistakes was that they didn't really hide their names that much. But at some point, they did uh, use fake names or anonymous email addresses, register some accounts like for wallets or online exchanges. But even in those cases, the emails could be then traced back to them or they logged into them with their home home IP in New York. You know, sort of like the classic mistakes, uh, OPSEC mistakes, if you will, that a lot of people make in these cases. Um, but, you know, I don't want to say that they were amateur, but, you know, in retrospect, all of these things look like big mistakes, but they just didn't really, they just were not very good at hiding their tracks. I've got two uh, questions from chat that I think are pretty good. Um, one is, who are the victims? From whom was the Bitcoin initially stolen? So initially, the the attack was centered on multi-signature wallets on Bitfinex, um, which is part of the reason why people suspected that this multi-signature setup with Bitco uh, was sort of part of the many moving parts that that led to this hack. But I would say that ultimately every user of Bitfinex was a victim of this hack because the exchange chose to basically level out the losses across every account. So every Bitfinex user took a 30% haircut on their accounts in the wake of the hack. Jesus. And they and they topped them up with a token um, called BFX uh, that Basically, they were like, this is going to like make you whole. And I think eventually uh, they did like buy back all the BFX tokens and like burn them all. But ul- but ultimately, every user of Bitfinex lost 30% of their holdings and got this BFX token um, because of this hack. So, I mean, in that sense, like everyone who was using Bitfinex took a 30% haircut Here's- overnight. Sorry about the hack. Sorry about us being insecure. Here's a coupon. Here's an IOU, basically. Basically, yeah. Uh, that's that's wild. Um, all right. No, the the next question is uh, uh, from J O Seven S J. 
or JAO7SJ, sorry, what could would happen to the seized assets if they were recovered? Would people who were originally victims of the theft get their Bitcoin back? So the government has said uh, that there will be a process for people to claim their Bitcoin. I think we don't know what that looks like. Um, Bitfinex, I know, has a... They have some sort of plan in place for if they receive the Bitcoin, they um, have like they have another token that they, it, there was a lot going on, by the way, like after this hack, like there's like another token that they issued. Um, I think there was actually two other tokens that they issued uh, in the wake of this hack just to try and like make people whole um, because of the losses. But uh, there's some kind of like uh, buyback plan that uh, buyback is probably not the right word, but there's some kind of like return plan that, that Bitfinex says they're going to execute if they get the coins back. But regardless, I think the government has said that they will, um, let people get their claim their Bitcoin. So there will be something like that going on. All right. We've kind of we've we've kind of mentioned this in passing a couple times now, but how did they how did Liechtenstein and Morgan screw up? How were they caught? I think you can uh, answer that one, so. Yeah. So they used a lot of cryptocurrency exchanges to move the money around. Some of those were just straight up under their real names. Um, some of them were under their business names, which were tied, you know, sorry, their businesses, which were tied to the real names. Um, uh, at some point, Lichtenstein used uh, one of his uh, uh, Bitcoin wallets that were actually predated the hack. And it was a, a U.S. crypto exchange. Uh, the feds don't identify which one. But they say that uh, to register for this exchange, he used his driver's license with his you know, full name, home address and everything else. Um, they failed to use a VPN when logging into some of these exchanges. So the exchanges logged their home IP address, which was tied to their, you know, presumably their uh, internet provider, which was on their name. Uh, they also, interestingly, the, the Fed say that they use some clusters of um, like, a, like a wallet where all the cryptocurrency, like, or some, a lot of the cryptocurrency got like funneled through you know, it got moved around for a bit, then got funneled through one of these clusters that they were able to, the investigators were able to, to tie into, tie to the, the couple as well. Uh, probably the most, you know, the biggest mistake that they made was uh, that Liechtenstein used the US-based email uh, cloud provider, you know, something like Gmail or uh, Microsoft's uh, Office. Um, and in that one, in his cloud, cloud storage, he stored uh, a file that essentially had all the Bitcoin addresses, all the wallets that were involved in this crime. So when the um, when the investigators were able to seize uh, his um, you know Google Drive, they saw everything. Uh, they even had like passwords there, private keys, essentially all the incriminating evidence that they needed. All right. So the other part of this story, and I know it, it, it's the part that's really been soaking up a lot of oxygen in the room, but it is just, you can't look away. Uh, this video, uh, Morgan was a, a crypto rapper, I guess is the way you could say it. Um, she was an aspiring influencer. She had, uh, she had published a lot of things at Forbes, which may look impressive, but the way Forbes work, is not actually that impressive. Um, so we're going to play, some of her crypto rap video, you know what? I'm gonna just play the whole thing for anybody who hasn't heard, heard it or seen it. Here we go. It was pulled down from her official account, but some uh, industries people have re-uploaded it. So let's go. Let's 
Let's do this. Never forget, weirdest is most original. cyber listener sorry to subject you to that we will be uh, right back we're going to take a quick break burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping and that extends to their outdoor collection 
Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. All right, thank you for bearing with us and sticking around. Uh, welcome back to Cyber, where we are talking about the bizarre case of the laundered Bitcoin. All right, I'm sorry to everybody in chat, but you just you just had to see it to understand really, really what's going on. And yes, she is on Spotify, she's on SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, iTunes, everywhere. Uh, she had a massive output, and yeah, it did feel like it was an hour long. Yeah, there's there's more of this. There's much more of this chat. There's there's much more of this. So okay, so Jordan Lorenzo. You both have been kind of doing a deep dive into this stuff in the past 24 hours. I'm so sorry. What are you learning anything? What's going on here? I'm going to pull up her website, by the way, while we talk about this. I mean, the, you know, the takeaway is that, as you said, she was very much online. Uh, she was an aspiring rapper. She was a contributor to the Forbes, where she wrote like dozens of articles on like marketing, internet, um, uh, she also was writing for Inc. magazine. She she had like a very active TikTok account. There's like a you know very personal videos there in which she talks to her husband Lichtenstein. Uh, she's showing her cat. It's just like you know pretty normal stuff for like a someone from uh, her generation. Well, and. Yeah, I mean, is it is it normal though? <laughs> I'm going to make a judgment I call. Mean, I, I guess, like the the yeah. the amount of sharing, yes, is normal. But there's just right. you know some of this is that we are now looking back at this with the hindsight of of like knowing that they've been accused of these crimes and that there was like allegedly laundering all this Bitcoin money. But it's just like some of this stuff is very bizarre and cringe and always was. Right, like yeah, that's that's right. I guess I guess uh, I guess it's fair to say that the persona, you know, this Razzle Khan artist name or whatever persona is definitely bizarre. There's like songs about Silicon Valley that are have like some not really smart criticism of the Silicon Valley culture and uh, you know tech bros. Um, there was one uh, one article that caught my attention yesterday in Forbes, uh, or I think it was a video actually, where she was talking about how, uh, you know, how she made money as a 22-year-old with no, like, VC funding, uh, no help from her parents, etc. And now it's like, you, you look back and it's, well, you made money by, you know, allegedly getting a stolen Bitcoin. That's how you got money. You know, it wasn't because you were some genius entrepreneur. Um, so, you know, as you said, with with, uh, with hindsight, it, it all really seems very absurd. I feel like it's just like, it's clear that this is someone who like, is just kind of a weirdo. Yeah. Uh, and like, you know, sees themselves as like an artist, um, you know, maybe even kind of like a high minded artist, internet artist, uh, you know, um, it's a it's an interesting uh, set of circumstances when you have something like this paired with like such a bizarre uh, online presence. Um, 
what I'm kind of like interested in is like, I feel like a lot of attention has been directed uh, at her and at her like online presence, like justifiably, justifiably for sure. Because like, this is like, (laughs) this has never happened in history. Like, first of all, this is like the largest financial seizure by the IRS ever. I think I saw like $5 billion at once. And the person who's accused of it, uh, you know, is posting like raps on YouTube. I don't, it's just like, we haven't, we haven't encountered this before. Like trash vanity projects of, with, with stunning production value for how bad the art is. What I, what I will, cause I mean, we don't know where the money for all of this came from. What I will say is that the only, the literally the only thing that I could find that their, you know, alleged VC fund demand path which was set up in 2017 shortly after the Bitfinex hack and has, you know, no investments that anyone can find. Um, the only thing that I've seen actually tied to it is like, you know, make uh, commissioning people to make t-shirts for her razzle can stuff. Um, and that's the only thing I've seen tied to demand path doing anything. So that's an interesting note. Uh, but I do wonder, like, you know, uh, when are we going to, like, when are we going to start focusing on Ilya? It feels like her husband. It feels inevitable. Um, yeah, because, and he's, like, in, he's the other part of this. He's in some of these TikToks, right? Uh, yeah. Like, you guys sent me the one where they're, I'm trying to see if I can find it, where they're talking about feeding the cat. Um, yeah, it's and, a, there's one in which he's talking about the fact that he tried the food that they're feeding their cat. Or that they were feeding that cat. That's what it and was. He said yeah. that it was pretty good. It wasn't very salty, but it was pretty good. Something like that. Yeah, and, and I think it's fair to say that he had a very smaller online profile than, than her. Yeah. Although the the other thing to note is that um, so they they ran this also like wallet like cryptocurrency wallet thing briefly called uh, Endpass that appeared to have some people working on it. There's some like staff that you can find on. Uh, on the internet. Uh, and um, yeah, to me, it kind of looks like Ilya was the coder because when you look at the GitHub, um, the GitHub account for their software, uh, he appears to be the main sort of contributor. And unless Heather was using an anonymous alt, uh, which is possible, um, I think he was probably the main uh, coding contributor to that. So I think that's an interesting note um, and, you know, maybe part of the reason that we end up talking about him a little more uh, as being the other part of this uh, once we kind of get past, like, Heather's, like, bombastic uh, sort of social media presence, which we're all uh, sort of digging through right now for for clues. Yeah, we're having a discussion in chat right now. Apparently, there's a wedding video uh, from their, their wedding that is uh, – I'm trying to see if we can get a link as we're sitting here discussing this. I just it's it I feel bad because there's this this weird there there's this crime here that happens that's tied in with web3 and crypto and all this stuff that's going on but I can't I can't look I can't not look at and I'm I'm from the American South I'm very versed in like the grotesque and you know like I'm a guy that saw cats twice in the movie theater like that's uh, not because it was a good movie, but because it was a bad one. That's the kind of person I am. So when I see something like this, I can't like that is my focus. That's and yes, Emily, it is because I'm part of part of I'm a theater kid too. But like I I can't look away from this kind of stuff, and I feel like it does overshadow the bigger conversation here, which is that these people are accused of one of the biggest money laundering operations ever, 
right? Yeah, definitely. Or conspiracy to, conspiracy. Uh, to do it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So, and, and also they have some connection with this mysterious hacker that, you know, stole what now is $5 billion in Bitcoin. Like, that's the big question, you know, we we're talking about at the beginning, you know, in the, in the document that the, the statement of facts that the Fed published, they only say the hack is only mentioned really at the beginning. So that's the big question right now. Like, what was their involvement and who did this? And, you know, no matter what their involvement, well, we know their alleged involvement is to launder the money. But, you know, the big question that a lot of, I saw a lot of people on Twitter, you know, that were flabbergasted about this yesterday was like, really, these two guys were involved in this huge hack? How, how did this happen? You know, they were very young at the time. It's just really interesting. Well, it will be very interesting to know if we ever know. Does anyone there, I know you like stuff is happening kind of constantly and y'all have both been kind of working on this story all day today. Um, where do we know where they are now? Has anyone been able to contact them? Are they out on, on, out on bail? What's going on? Well, they were denied bail, I believe. Okay. Um, so I think they're in custody. Okay. I mean, yeah, that makes sense when you're talking about this amount of money. Um, and he's a, a dual national, right? He's got Russian citizenship as well, I believe. Liechtenstein does. So, yeah. like, well, they were they were actually given bail, and then another judge, I think, uh, like stayed that, yeah. and then okay. denied them bail. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, they're cla- pretty classic flight risk, I would think, money and means, and you know, God knows what they've got squirreled away elsewhere. That you know, I'm I'm speculating now, and I should stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, part of it was they had like a a file that was like passports, right? Yes. Yeah, there was a yep. folder. Yes, yeah, so there was a folder in the same cloud storage that the Fed sees from Liechtenstein. There was a folder like called passports that. Uh, contain some notes on like where to buy fake passports, um, you know, ideas on like links to dark red markets where that could be done. So, you know, the, the allegation there, the presumption there is that they were either thinking about it or they had thought, thought about it or, you know, were planning to, who knows, but. Uh, you know, you'd think maybe this would be a bad idea to keep the stuff in the cloud. Emily says, um, I mean, it's a bad idea to keep, I mean, I'm not giving advice to any aspiring, <laughs> you know, alleged hackers out there but like you'd think like you wouldn't keep yeah a file in the cloud that has literally everything everything the feds need to take take the money get you red-handed on everything essentially (laughs) you'd think you wouldn't keep that in the cloud like that and you'd think you also wouldn't be living in new york city and you'd think that you wouldn't be posting incessantly on tiktok i mean all of this just kind of like defies belief really yeah. If you're like his, serious about this, in, in his defense, the file that the that the feds were able to get was initially encrypted, and that's another thing that we don't right. know from the documents that I read. the The feds were able to decrypt it, so that was encrypted. We don't know if, like, you know, this could have happened many in many ways. Maybe the password was uh, was weak, so they were able to brute force it. Maybe they just forced him to hand over his password, which you know they can ask. Uh, people are not required usually, but sometimes they people just give them up, give those up. Maybe they found the password somewhere else. Who knows? But you know, at least he had encrypted that file. But yeah, you know, you would think that if you have like you know millions that then become billions of dollars in crypto, maybe don't store anything in the cloud. Like they were actually pretty decently careful about keeping some wallets in cold, some Bitcoin in cold storage, right? So mm-hmm. basically offline storage. 
So that 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 was a little bit surprising when uh, you know when I read that one of the key evidence in the end was something pulled off from Google Drive essentially. This is kind of a tangent, but it did occur to me that this is like has echoes of kind of like the the pipeline, uh, colonial pipeline, uh, Bitcoin retrieval that happened uh, after that ransomware attack. Um, the feds retreat Bitcoin. Correct me if I'm wrong. I am. I hope I don't mangle this. But basically, uh, the feds like there was a server that they got access to. So we have to presume it was in the states. Um, that basically, you know, seems like it had the private key uh, on it. So again, you have a case of like you know something being stored on a server um, that the police eventually you know get access to that contains the the necessary information to to retrieve the bitcoins that's something that i feel like we're we're seeing uh here and in other cases so can uh, I, yeah I, sorry go ahead i just wanted to follow up saying that you know at the end i think the takeaway is that even if you you know you can talk about like cold storage and offline wallets and all you want but at some point if you want to cash the money out or turn the money into something you have to use services that are online you have to use exchanges that are under regulation, you know, under federal regulations, financial regulations that are that require them that you know oblige them to keep records that eventually can really lead back to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just incredible. Like, it's really incredible to think that, like, you know, six years ago when this happened, you know, I think a lot of people probably assume that this person uh, may have just gotten away and probably would just get away. Like, it's it's incredible that six years later, you know, four like $5 billion worth of Bitcoin had been seized by uh, the IRS and like two well, people are in custody alleged. They could have, these crimes. they, you know, they had the money to not be where they were. Right. They could have gone anywhere and done anything and maybe have gotten away with it. If they'd just been somewhere where that wasn't going to extradite them to the United States. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of open questions here. I think we have to remember these crimes are alleged, obviously. Right. They have to be proved in court. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, it boggles the mind to think about um, the choices that were made here. Let me ask some existential questions here to see us out um, as you slowly go mad covering all of this, Jordan. Um, so do you think that this is at all reflective of the larger culture around crypto and Bitcoin, or is this just a fluke? Which part of it? The, her home. Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm talking about her cultural output, uh, but I suppose it also begs the question, but I think we've kind of talked about it in previous episodes. Right. Um, like the hacks, the insecurity, the amount of money that's being lost and stolen. It all right. feels like that's part of it. Right. I mean, it definitely is like, I mean, all of this is a story that could have only happened, um, you know, during the current era, like every part of it is like really just like stunningly of the moment, like from the initial hack to it, it it actually getting completely recovered um, is just like an incredible series of events that could have only happened with, you know, this sort of new technology in the mix. Like, you know, it's important to remember, like, not only did this hack happen, but six years later, it was recovered, which is just like, I, I honestly can't wrap my head around, like, how we got here. It's just like, it's it's so wild. But I mean, in terms of our social media presence, like, 
I don't know how much of it is like crypt. Like I think if anything, like in crypto, there's probably a propensity towards like not oversharing and being a little more security conscious and having sort of an inclination towards anonymity or pseudonymity. Um, you know, most projects are started by anonymous people. Uh, so it, it's interesting because like a part of me is like, no, this is actually completely against like what I would think of as being like the core ethos of uh, cryptocurrency in that sense. But it, it just in terms of like, you know, where we are as a culture and a society, like it's completely reflective of where we are in terms of kind of like the influencer grind set hustle thing that everyone is like, uh, you know, getting in on. I don't know why she did it. Assume, you know, if, if what these crimes are alleged are true, like I, I can't really put myself in the shoes of someone who would still sort of do, you know, act how she did online, but it really feels like, yeah, just like sort of perfectly like a warped mirror of like our current moment of, you know, online celebrity. Well, think about, you know, kind of what you're saying about the crypto space and that tendency towards anonymity. Think about one of the other big stories from the past week, right? Is BuzzFeed figures out who the people behind Yuga Labs are that did the Board Ape Yacht Club NFTs. And a bunch of people in the crypto space get very upset and push back against that and say, you know, these guys, these guys were trying to stay anonymous and et cetera, et cetera. Right. So I think you're, you're right. There is that. So it's kind of like the, that weird, need to be online and be part of the conversation and put stuff out meeting up against that crypto space um, in this story. It's really interesting. I feel like crypto people have been honestly the most shocked by this because I think any, I mean, most people would just assume like, you know, these people took the money and they're gone. They've disappeared. They're anonymous. They're going to cash out anonymously. They will never show their faces again. They won the game. And I think it's just like, it's such a shock to see that like someone who, you know, allegedly did this, um, just ran in the opposite direction of just like putting themselves out there, like as much as possible. Um, it's just, it's just not how things go in this world usually. And that makes the story like, you know, so much more interesting. So this reminds me of, um, of, uh, Silk Road, right? Like when the first Silk Road goes down, the original one we were all shocked that the creator was just living in San Francisco, right? The tech, you know, the tech right. capital of the world. Like, what was he doing there? You know, I remember, I remember myself thinking that, like, why was he not in Thailand or God knows where? So it's, uh, it's really, I think that's, that's one of the reasons why we're all fascinated by this story. It's just so unexpected. So I know that it's been a busy day in the motherboard newsroom. A lot of people are working on different aspects of this story in particular. What, do y'all see is next? Is there anything you can tease us about what you, you, you can tease out about what you're working on? Give us a little bit, you know, what, where is this going to go? I mean, I think we're just trying to learn as much as possible um, about these people, who they were, you know, um, what their interactions were like uh, with their alleged businesses, which we're not even you know really sure of how real they were or not. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can, you can expect to see more of that, uh, coming from us. Lorenzo, you got anything in the hopper? Well, uh, as Jordan said, like we're sort of digging through their online, um, footprints, trying to figure out, you know, if there's anything else we can learn other than, um, you know, listening to their crappy, to her crappy rap songs. 
uh, it's also like you know again the big questions for me are you know the the, the original step you know the money that got taken out of Bitfinex how did it end up in a wallet that this capital controlled like that's that's the big question right now uh, you know this is all speculation but perhaps this is the first case that drops now the feds are you know gonna drop the the case against the hacker maybe. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe that's maybe arresting these people is part of the strategy. They're going to ask them questions about the hacker. Who knows? You know, like the, that initial step, like the 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 Bitcoin moving from Bitfinex to this one wallet, is really the the big the big unanswered questions right right now, which I really hope to find out the answer to. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up Cyber for this week. Uh, if you like the show, we will be back next week with another episode of Cyber broadcast live at 4 p.m. Eastern right here on twitch.tv forward slash motherboard TV. If you missed any part of the show and you want to hear the rest of it, it is going to be up on a cast tomorrow, wherever fine pods are casted. Uh, please follow us there. Follow us on Twitch to get, uh, you know, to get notified when we are going live. And we will see you all next week. Thank you, everybody. Really great questions in the chat today. Really great discussion. Absolutely horrified to learn about her uh, Cleopatra-themed wedding. Thank you all so much. And we will see you next week. Bye, Lorenzo. Bye, Jordan. Thank you. Bye, Matt. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.